Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How are you, Jill? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very good. Uh, It's a nice day in New York. It is so cold. I don't know how it is in St. Louis, but it's been very cold this week. It's been better here, but rainy. I think like 50s. We can we'll mm. take it. I had to wear my parka, my my big heavy duty winter coat for the first time last night. So it's officially here. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Farfetch and some of the stuff going on over there, including rumors that the company might go private soon. Um, we'll talk about that and what that means for the luxury industry and some of the weirdness happening in luxury retail and at luxury brands. Um, And then speaking of luxury, we're going to talk about an ongoing strike at Gucci as the company has attempted to move its headquarters from Rome to Milan, um, which I thought was pretty interesting and also ties into some other labor stuff we've been talking about on the podcast. But let's start with Farfetch. So Farfetch was supposed to report its earnings on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday of this past week, and then kind of out of nowhere canceled at the last minute and just said that they would update investors in due course uh, and that they should disregard any previous guidance, which was kind of unexpected and a little strange. Um, But then there was a report in the Telegraph that the company might be going private, uh, that uh, Jose Neves, who is the founder, might be taking the company private. My kind of take on that is that they're going through some of the same issues that a lot of other luxury companies are going through. There's a slowdown, people aren't spending as much. And then on top of that, they've got some unique things where they're tied up in the middle of this huge deal to buy Net-a-Porter, and they've got all these all this other stuff going on. They've got a ton of debt. Um, we can get into some more of the specifics, but Joe, what's your initial take on the idea of Farfetch going private was, or possibly going private? Um, was that unexpected to you, or do you feel like that was indicated beforehand? No, I don't think there was an indication. I think it was surprising. I thought <laughs> when I first heard that they weren't reporting earnings, I was like, is that allowed? Is it, like, is it embarrassing? <laughs> Can you just not um, do like, that? I didn't know that you could just say no. <laughs> I know. And like, I just think like my first thought is they haven't been doing great. Like what's going on with the company? They don't want to put mm-hmm. it out there. That's not good. What are their shareholders going to say? Like uh, stocks declined. Like it's not a good sign. But um. Yeah, I will see. Like, you don't hear about some of their companies anymore um, outside of their, obviously, e-commerce platform. And they've got, or e-commerce marketplace, they've got this platform solutions business. They operate or they power a lot of um, big websites for big brands. But then there's also like New Guards Group and and what Off-White. And obviously, it's lost some cool factor without Virgil, in my opinion. And also, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't hear about stadium goods. Um, is, are you with me? Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I think a lot of those brands kind of, um, and the, those companies have been pretty quiet recently. You mentioned that their stock has been dropping, you know, not just after this week, but even just throughout this year, I think their stock has dropped or their valuation has dropped like 70% or something. Um, they have over a billion dollars in debt from all these acquisitions, um, including the the Net-A-Porter deal, which just got approved last month. Um, they just like have their hands in a lot of different things. And it's kind of a, a inopportune time for the luxury market to contract, right, as they have just bought all these companies and are in the middle of the buying another one. Um, you know, and and to me, I think going private, if that is what ends up happening, like I always feel that if you're a public company, there's so much pressure, there's so much scrutiny. And if you show a little bit of weakness, then investors lose confidence and then it just spirals, you know, like you you something goes wrong, investors pull out, 
Other investors see that, they freak out, they pull out, and then all of a sudden, and then that makes it harder to improve because now you're trying to calm your investors down and stuff. So I think that it might just be that they anticipate that the next couple quarters are going to be tough, that their revenue is not going to look good from the outside, but they have like a long-term vision and they just want to do it outside of the, you know, out of the eyesight of their investors who are going to freak out at the slightest changes. You know, that would be my take is maybe they're thinking we go private, get through this situation and then try to like go get back on the market soon after that. I don't know how simple that would be. It sounds immensely complicated, but I think that might be the thinking. It's just that if there are some temporary setbacks they need to get through privately. Yeah, it's you're right. Like luxury was booming and like such rapid growth. And so if there's any sign of even slowed growth, even if it's growth, like shareholders are going to freak out. I was talking to you. We tend to give sneak peeks of our glossy 50 list on this um, on this podcast. But I was talking to the new CEO of the real real and he was like adamant about they want to maintain he didn't he didn't want to like stick it at 10% but low double digit growth is where he wants to stay um not higher of course not lower but um that's like a happy place and i think shareholders like it and it it helps to achieve all of their their goals but also speaking of an inopportune time like they've got the, they're all embroiled or wrapped up in this Richemont deal uh okay like Oh, I feel like what a risky ass move to for Richmond to yeah. sell Netaporte with shares. Like Farfetch was going, they were going to take on Farfetch shares in exchange for nearly half of Netaporte shares. Right, they'd be paid anyway. in Farfetch shares, which then immediately yes. dropped in valuation, like and are worth way less now than they were when that deal was approved. Like that, yeah, that to me is like seemed like a risky move at the time, and I feel like it's shown to have been risky because now the shares are worth less. Yes. And if it goes private, there's all the stories out there about question mark, question mark, what happens then? Also part of the deal, um, which there's a lot of buzz about, is the fact that all of Richemont's uh, brands <laughs> were going to be operated by the Farfetch system. That's um, right. Yeah. Systems. They're e-commerce, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we are, we haven't gone there yet. We're not going to do that yet. Um, everyone is saying that uh, experts, analysts are saying that it would be foolish for a public company to have their e-commerce operated by a private company. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, don't go there, basically. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that that part of the Richemont deal. I, I wonder if um, the net-a-porte thing might just like not go through anymore. But I also know that big deals like this kind of have inertia behind them. And once they start, it can be really hard to stop them, you know, both for legal yeah. reasons and for, for other reasons. So uh, they might kind of just be forced into it. Maybe they're regretting both sides this deal uh, at the moment. But it seems at, for the moment, it seems like it's still happening. But yeah, if they go private, I feel like that's going to throw a bunch of stuff into chaos. Exactly. Like yeah. you said, could a private company be running the e-commerce of a public company? I'm not sure. And R Richemont said something to the effect of like, we'd rather go through these crazy renegotiations and get, again, more wrapped up in this Farfetch business, yeah. which is not a good sign for Farfetch, the state of Farfetch. Um, yeah. What else did they, go ahead. Didn't, they, didn't Richemont say that they're not going to like put any more cash into Farfetch or something? They're not going to like invest anymore in it for the moment, at least. I, I felt like that was along the same lines of like, we are not going to entangle ourselves further with this company, at least until they like figure out what's going on. 
we sort of have talked on this podcast a little bit about what's going on in luxury retail at the moment. You alluded to this, but like it's been so many quarters and so many years now of like booming, booming growth for luxury. It felt like sort of there's endless runway, there's endless demand, there's endless growth. And then now we're kind of seeing a bunch of companies like we just talked to me and Sophia about Saks Fifth Avenue not being able to pay its vendors like and taking longer and longer between receiving payments and or receiving shipments and paying for them. And it's like, this is Saks Fifth Avenue. They should be able to pay people on time. Like that's that's crazy. It definitely feels like the luxury industry is not super prepared for a contraction like that. They're, they're I think they're very used to just charging whatever they want and, you know, it just being successful pretty much by default. Uh, and now I feel like we're seeing a lot of big luxury companies having to sort of be a little more thoughtful about their operations. Obviously, they're thoughtful about their operations. You know, they're successful and everything. But, like, it just feels like they are facing crises now that they were definitely not facing the last couple of years and, like, need to kind of handle that. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I remembered my thought. It was just that somebody, um, it was reported that if the, like, contractual, like they had to go through with the deal, um, this could prevent Farfetch from going private because potentially the new owner or the private owner would be like forced to pay like all this lump sum of money for Net-A-Porte. And mm -hmm. like, anyway, it would kind of make the deal less sexy. <laughs> Imagine how stressful it must be to negotiate giant deals like this with hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. I, I, I like get stressed out just paying my rent each month and can't imagine <laughs> being working on something like this. Um, let's move on, though, and talk about Gucci. So Gucci has an interesting situation going on. They're facing the first strike in the brand's like over 100-year history, I think. Um, in October, they announced that they were going to move 150 of, like around 150 of their around 200 employees um, from Rome, which is where they make most of their clothes and design, like where the design team works, um, to Milan. Uh, which are both in Italy, but they're not super close. Those are two completely different parts of the country. And the workers at Gucci have basically interpreted this as like layoffs in disguise. Um, people can't really just uproot their whole lives at a moment's notice. So they've kind of interpreted it as this, this is basically being a way for Gucci to hope people just quit rather than having to lay them off uh, and you know face the PR and other consequences that come from doing that. Gucci says it didn't in, didn't envisage any loss of personnel, but it's like people have lives. If I just Jill, if you told me today that I need to move to St. Louis, like I can't just do. And you're like, well, I wasn't expecting him to quit. Like people can't just do that. You know, that's the, the, you can't uproot your life. So the the union basically has said that that they believe this is a way to kind of force people to quit, um, and they're demanding that Gucci basically not move everybody to Milan. Um, yeah, I have some thoughts on like labor action in fashion at the moment where it feels like there's a little bit more movement happening, but I'll let you go first, Joe. What do you think of this? Yeah, I have such big feelings about this because <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's, I mean, I'll be snarky, like discriminatory against like people with families because mm -hmm. let's just, my personal story, like I currently like say I'm in limbo or I feel very like aimless because I literally have moved across the country multiple times for work. Like I moved to Chicago for a job, but then after that I moved to San Francisco to take a job, but then I moved to New York to take a job. And it's just like, 
I just go where the work is. So like right now we're working from home. And I think this is especially shocking because so many people are working from home and the the theory is you can work anywhere. I remember I got really PO'd when I moved all the way to San Francisco, which ain't a, a cheap city. And mm-hmm. I'm like sitting in the office. I think I told this story to the team and um, there was like, you know, one of those little, I don't know, phone machines in the middle with somebody calling in and they're like, hey, Mike. And I'm like, oh, hey, guys, who's Mike? And they're like, he's our our editor in Chicago. And I, and I had just moved from Chicago. And I'm like, wait, what? Like lived in an Airbnb for like a month and like made myself crazy and stressed and blah, all the things. And like literally like had I known like I did ask like is it ne- necessary to move here and my boss goes yes we really prefer it everyone's here I think was the scenario um, but like had I like pushed for it I probably could have didn't have to move or like questioned it or all the things but in this case like people are already in the job like mm-hmm. you're there you got your dream job it's not taking a new job and moving which I think is a different story you weigh your options yeah. take it or leave it yeah, this is your livelihood. So, hmm, yeah, I, it's it's a big ask. I think it's a new, prob- they have new leadership. And I think they're kind of, I don't know, flexing their, their power a bit, but also trying to um, maybe regain the culture from, from the creative directorships. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like well-intentioned, but they're really putting people through hell. I'm not sure. Jill, I, I totally agree with you. And you know, as someone who has moved around the country and like, to be fair, the U.S. is a much bigger country geographically than Italy. Italy is pretty small, um, but it's still it's big enough that moving from Rome to Milan is like a complete change of your life. Um, and also Gucci has had this office, their design, like their design headquarters has been in Rome for decades. And probably a lot of people who have been working there did not expect it to move. They they took the job thinking that it would be in Rome forever, um, or at least for a very long time. It's, you know, it's not like you said, you're taking some new job, you're expected to, you know, jump around. And I also think like a big luxury brand like Gucci, I expect that one of the incentives to work there, other than like the prestige of the name, is also like the stability of it. You know, it's a hundred years old. You, They've been designing stuff in Rome for literally since the 1900s, you'd you'd think that like people would take that job expecting to not be jerked around like this. Um, So I think it's a little bit of a bad luck, even if, like you said, even if it is well-intentioned, even if it's not like trying to get people to quit, I still feel like it's a little bit of a bad luck to kind of just drop that on people. And they did have, I mean, to be fair, it was announced like a month ago. So originally I had written in my notes that it like came out of nowhere, but I was looking into it. Like they did give a little bit of warning, but I mean, a month is not enough time to like uproot your whole life. And you know, Jill, as someone who's moved around to a bunch of different cities, like it's really hard to kind of like, you know, set down roots if you're jumping around all the time, you know? The advice is take move with suitcases, buy an air mattress, get your bearings. <laughs> but um, no, they found out in October. And yeah, they were, the, the idea is this will happen in the first half of 2024. Um, I have to ask, because there is talk that there's like some great package. Um, like they're, they get some sort of a bonus. They, they're making the deal kind of sexy if you move here. Um, so, so Danny, we won't say St. Louis. Okay. You got <laughs> some sort of a, a boost in your pay. You got some sort of, um, they'll pay for your apartment for a year. I don't know. And you're asked to move to Miami or something. I just picked a city that hmm. I, I don't know, 300 miles away. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's 300 miles away from New York? That's a that's that's very compelling. Actually, I, I, honestly, every time I go to visit family in Maryland and we go to Baltimore and I look at the price, like the rent and house prices there, that's temptation enough. New York is so ridiculously expensive. Totally. But yeah, I mean, the the other thing is, um, you know, I mentioned this, but we've been seeing a lot of like labor action happening in fashion right now. Zofia and I just talked a lot about the garment strikes happening in Bangladesh. Obviously, like certain parts of the world are more or less unionized. Europe in general, I think, is better than the U.S. on this front. Um, but I think when there's contraction in the market, which we've we've talked about, not just in luxury, but across fashion, people are spending less. There's less money to go around. Uh, the companies have to make changes, and oftentimes they kind of uh, shrug off or they 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 put all the burden on the kind of lowest rungs of the the company. Um, so I expect we'll probably see as more companies try to like cut costs and stuff and do layoffs, um, we'll probably see more you know of the unionized companies or sectors of fashion where there's stronger you know labor representation. There will be more situations like this, um, but that's kind of one of the benefits of having a union or, or being organized in some way is that when your boss is like, okay, two thirds of you all need to move to a different city, you have someone you can go to to complain about it, you know? <laughs> like, I don't think so. Did you know yeah. that when they're protesting, their signs that said, um, Gucci cuts, but doesn't so? <laughs> I did. I did see that. That was really good. Um, yeah, so it would be interesting. I mean, also, like you you mentioned, Sabato de Sarno has taken over as uh, creative director from Alessandro Michele. I wonder if the moving the headquarters is also, like you said, a little bit of like establishing a new identity for the brand too. Um, so there's some other elements that could be behind the move itself. But like we said, I think the result of the decision has been some unhappy employees. So um, yeah. That's all my thoughts on it. They do need a refresh. Like, let's get real. Yeah. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's all the time we have this week. Uh, Jill, thank you so much for being on. This is so fun. So fun. Thanks for having me. Uh, For those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast, because that helps us out so much. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast, because you'll hear weekend review episodes with me every Friday. And every Wednesday, you'll hear interviews with industry insiders. Jill, who's our next guest? Oh, it was her first ever podcast. She, Grace Nash, she's from the brand, uh, denim brand, Pisola, mm-hmm. who sells through like oh, every retailer from Selfridges to uh, Net-A-Porter to Revolve to Saks. Um, but yeah, a big wholesale business and had a lot to say about, um, you know, longevity after 10 years in business. Great founder story. So have a listen. Yeah. And I have a, a feeling that we may have a guest host on next week's Week in Review. I'm being vague because we're still scheduling it, but I have a suspicion that we may have a guest host for next Week in Review. <laughs> He's too. kicking me out. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned for that, especially I'm just I'll give a little hint, especially if you're interested in watches. We will have possibly somebody from the watch space on Week in Review next week. Uh, but yeah, until then, thank you, Joe, for being here. And thanks for listening. <laughs>